Good evening and welcome. It's Monday night. It is the beginning of a new week. This is the Independence Gang. I'm your host, JV, along with my co-host, Vince, tonight. We've got JR and Juliet both joining us. Juliet, is that a different background? Are you turned differently or something? <laughs> it's a struggle. Well, you always have you it. always have a lot of books behind you, which tells me you are very well-read and very learned. So that's always impressive. JR, on the other hand, he's just got a big empty room behind him there with some lights and mirrors on it. I think that kind of indicates JR might be... Uh, Someone who likes to look at himself in the mirror. I don't know. I'm just guessing. <laughs> is that is that true, Jr.? I, I need to be more learned. <laughs> get some books, I guess. Uh, and Vince <laughs> looks like he's ready to make a getaway any second. He's running out those doors. <laughs> the door. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, welcome everybody. Sorry we had such an abbreviated week of programming last week, but we're back here and there's plenty to talk about. One of the things I'll say, Vince, and you probably know this as well. Every day that goes by, you see these headlines I and mean, you think, oh man, that's that's going to be something we need to talk about. And then after three or four days goes by, so much is accumulated that you just have to move on because there's too much new stuff to talk about even worry about the old stuff so true coming yeah. at you like uh, a million miles an hour right it's crazy it really crazy. it really Hard is keep up. it really is so we'll get started here i wanted to talk about something that is not really political uh to open up the show here hey everybody jv here please take a minute and consider supporting the program our expenses are going up just like everyone else's and it takes a lot to bring the show to you five nights a week. So we'd appreciate you going to the website, independencegang.com. Click on the Donate tab, or you can just type in independencegang.com slash donate. And spend a minute considering giving us a gift to help us fund our operations here. The Independence Gang is a labor of love, but there are expenses associated with it, and we appreciate your help. Uh, but I just think it's interesting and, and kind of important. Has everybody, by shaking your head yes or no, seen the film Schindler's List? Yes. Then uh, Jr. Not sure. Ago. You did. Yeah. It was from 1993. Long time ago, yeah. From 1993, yeah. it was uh, it was an Academy Award winner, but it was all, also told an amazing story from the Holocaust about uh, a German businessman who ended up having what seems to be a real heart at the end of the war and, and saved over a thousand Jews from going to, to Auschwitz to be uh, exterminated. Well, if I, I don't know where this woman comes into the story uh, or the, the movie, but in this, in the real life story, uh, the woman who typed the actual list died on Friday at the age of 107 years old. Her name was uh, Mimi Reinhard, and she was the secretary who typed up Schindler's List. Uh, JR, I just have, you know, as a World War II buff and somebody who looks at that period in history and just some, I'm amazed by what happened. Uh, I'm saddened by so much of it, obviously, it was such a great tragedy, but it's also one of those things that we often compare current events to, current uh, governmental actions. And we say, oh, there, you know, this is like what was happening in Germany in 1933 or 1938 or 39. Uh, so those comparisons happen all the time. So I, I would have to say it's probably an important part of history to, to understand and to know a little bit about. Well, no question about it. Uh, you know, we, we speak very fondly and with about uh, the greatest generation and, those unique individuals that gave so much and we're losing them and losing them down to, uh, you know, there's, there's not a lot of them really left, but, uh, the magnitude of the death and the sacrifice it took to win that war and the, uh, you know, 
today where we look at drones and we look at no boots on the ground and it was just the opposite and and they were all heroes and selflessly fought for our country and and we hope we have patriots like that uh today but uh, i don't know that we do i, I mean uh, those are special people and uh those that came back uh created the post-war prosperity really that lasted for a generation you know so uh you know i think we can learn so much from our past and we are you know this cancel culture and removing our history for you know if, if perfection is the standard we wouldn't have any statues and, and so much is lost by uh removing that and and taking it away and, and what you know what made our country you know galvanize us as americans it's just uh I hate I hate to see any of that lost, and uh, I'm sure this was a special lady, and uh, it's worth uh, recognizing her tonight. Yeah, she moved to New York uh, after the war, lived in New York City for quite some time, then ended up moving to Israel, according to this story, and lived there for a few years before she passed away again at the age of 107. Juliet, I don't know if you're old enough to have grandparents that may have fought in World War II or you or anybody else in your in your family history that fought in World War II. Both of my grandfathers fought in the war, and I have both of their flags that were on their coffins when they passed away. Neither one died in the war. They died much later. Um, but either way, I respect their service, and I just look at men like that and the women who sacrificed as well. And as JR said, I don't know if, if it's possible to create another generation that would sacrifice as much as them, those men and women did to keep the world free from what at the time was not Nazi tyranny, but tyranny of any kind for that matter. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, funny story, actually, my dad was the youngest of seven, and all of his brothers served in World War II, and he came of age to enlist right when the war ended. Oh, so. Wow. He didn't serve in World War II. He served in the Korean War. But um, And my mom was born in 1940. So I'm lucky enough to have parents that are like of that generation. It's a total fluke of <laughs> generations <laughs> and marriages that that happened. But they are. They're special in a way that I don't think we could replicate. Yeah. When we hear what our current uh, youth in m many cases, but even young adults, uh, complain about, whine about, hold up as being the most important things to deal with. Vince, uh, Jr. said that uh, the th these men and women who went to fight World War II did the job, got it done, came home, and with very few exceptions, did no complaining, got down to starting families, Why we, is why we had the baby boom, uh, got down to being professionals, went to college where appropriate, and built this nation. And he said, you know, uh, gave, gave us prosperity that lasted a generation. I would argue it lasted through the end of the millennium. And may, we may even still be hanging on to some of it. I, I'd agree that we're definitely hanging on to it because I think their their contributions to the world at the time probably defined everything that this country is and has become since then i mean think about it this 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 country isn't isn't sitting on the success and wealth and 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 democracy doesn't evolve as it as it has uh if if the greatest generation doesn't exist if they don't go and fight that war if they don't go in and and basically what they did is they they planted the flag 
that America is the strongest, uh, most, you know, the greatest country in the world. They planted that flag for the entire world to see, and they did it quietly, and they did it without it. You know, they never, they, they didn't come home and talk about it. They didn't look for the slap on the back and the, the hero's welcome home. You know, it, it kind of makes you wonder, you know, it's like it, the true patriot is the one that doesn't call themselves a patriot. That really seems to be the uh, the lesson that we could probably take away uh, from that, uh, from that today, but certainly, uh, certainly, I mean, it, it did, it, it, not only did it define a generation, I think it, it, it greatly impacted everything that, that this country has, uh, you know, and, and when you, when you talk about first world world problems, I mean, come on, I mean, we really, we really don't have any, any troubles and it's really because of them. And you're right about their modesty too. I actually knew a couple of friends of my grandfathers who were medal of honor recipients and you couldn't even get them to tell, you know, they didn't even want to talk about it. They wanted to live, they, they wanted to put that behind them and live their lives and just move on and not brag and not get, not get compliments. They didn't, they didn't look for that at all. They didn't. Right. Um, right. But let's talk about some first world problems now. Uh, first world problems as uh, that are that are 21st century types of problems. But th these are just kind of interesting. Everybody's been following this story. Uh, Elon Musk as most of you know, bought uh, just under 10% stake in Twitter last week after he'd been very, very critical about Twitter and their lack of respect for freedom of speech, the First Amendment, etc. So he bought a, a stake that was large enough to make him the, large enough, large, the, the largest shareholder in Twitter. And then they announced that he was going to join the board, the Twitter corporate board. Well, over the weekend, he informed Twitter that his decision was that he would not be taking a board seat. JR, you know a lot about this kind of thing. The justification for that seems to be that if he was on the board, he would be limited as to how much stock he could own, how much more he could buy, and what his fiduciary responsibilities were uh, with that stock, et cetera, et cetera. Because if you're on the board, you've got inside information and it limits what you can do with the stock. So he might be up to something else here, JR. I don't know. I, I, I thought it was very uh, interesting when he, uh, when it came out that he was, and uh, as opposed to starting his own, which he certainly could have done to create a more fairer uh, communication platform, he decided to, uh, you know, seemingly buy into one and influence it, become what he wanted it to be, but uh, apparently not. But you're right about uh, about the uh, SEC rules. Uh, he, he would certainly be an insider. Uh, he'd have to do his, uh, his share proxy statements and show what he owned. Uh, he could only make uh, you know, purchases and sells uh, pre-planned and or within the, the two-week window after a uh, earnings release. Things like that are, you know, he would fall into. So um, perhaps it was, uh, it's going to end up just being a money play. Who, kn who knows? But uh, you, you can, uh, it is further underscored the influence that the guy has because his, his simply uh, going on to that entity, the stock went up, I forget what it was, but it was some double digit percentage by one guy uh, and, and the potential that you know the market saw that he would have. So uh, I, I'm, I'm sure it was, uh, I don't know what he did today. I didn't look at the market for Twitter, but I'm sure it was down today because he decided not to be on there. But uh, I'm sure there's a financial play at a minimum, but uh, um, he he has a platform and a lot of people listen to him and he seems to have a, a pretty golden touch. So uh, it'll be interesting to follow the aftermath of this. 
Well, just because he bought the stock uh, and it moved in sympathy to that purchase, he made a billion dollars that day or something like that. It was kind of crazy. Uh, Juliet, did you make a billion dollars in the stock market this today or last week or any anytime recently? Unfortunately not, no. <laughs> That's why you're still working on your camera angles. <laughs> um, I want to read a quote from the CEO of Twitter, who I would hope is shaking in his boots uh, not fully knowing what Elon Musk is up to, but fully knowing that he is a free speech advocate. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to pronounce this guy's name right. I see it all the time. I never know how to pronounce it. But Parag Agrawal, does anybody know if that's how you pronounce it? Let's go with it anyway. Good. Yeah, he's the CEO. <laughs> he was talking about this move by Musk not taking the board seat. And he said, the decisions we make and how we execute is in our hands no one else's. Let's tune out the noise and stay focused on the work and what we're building. Now, uh, Juliet, this is the same guy that said uh, free speech is not really our concern. We just want to control a healthy dialogue. This guy just seems to be so completely out of touch with, I guess, what we would consider to be the norms of American business or something. I'm not even sure how to define it. Well, yeah, I mean, I I don't know a ton about him, but what I do know, he sounds like an activist. I think to him, the most important thing is woke stuff, ideology, and that's what they really want to nurture on Twitter. They don't want people to have a platform to discuss things. They just want to push their own agenda. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure he is having a rough week right now because he he just seems very soft to me and elon is not soft so he suddenly has this person to contend with that is so much more powerful than he could ever dream to be it's gonna get interesting uh vince um on sunday elon musk tweeted the giggling emoji now i'm not sure which the giggling emoji is i'm sure if i saw it i'd say oh that's the one that's giggling yeah i get it now but anyway he tweeted the giggling emoji and then he also included a poll in which he asked his followers if twitter headquarters in san francisco should be turned into a homeless shelter since no one shows up there anyway uh is that a shot across the bow vince do you think it's it's definitely a shot across the bow. Um, you know, there's there's uh, Elon Musk is one of those guys that you, you, there's parts of him you want to hate, and then he does shit like this that you just absolutely love about him, right? And um, I got to tell you, I think this is a complete power move, uh, and I think it's I think what makes it even a greater power move. I, I believe it's a power move from the from the from the financial sense in that he's now not limited by how much stock he can buy. Right? He can. He's not. He's not subject to insider trading rules. And and I think by by not doing what everyone expected him to do, it's a greater power move. And it's got to have everybody at at Twitter just completely scared out of their minds as to what is he going to do and what's he going to. But I think I see this as a complete. I think he's setting himself actually setting himself up for an actual hostile takeover of Twitter. Um, I think what he could actually do here if he does this right, and, and you know, he's done it in the electric uh, vehicle world. He's done it in the green energy space. He's doing it now in, in, in space, uh, in the space program. Uh, he has an opportunity here to shake things up a little bit and maybe send a message to the other social media platforms that, you know, you have a responsibility. And that's the one thing about Elon Musk, like him or not, he does try to, put some sort of social responsibility into into his his business practices and and I don't care if you agree with that or not it's not about that it's just that's who he is right that's what he does and I, and 
you know, and, and while, you know, I, I don't want to be forced to use solar panels or maybe drive an electric vehicle, I, I kind of like the idea that he may actually force his will onto the social media platforms to, to, to get rid of their, their basically their, their policing of, of free and open uh, speech and discussion. Meanwhile, while all of that is happening in the background, in the foreground, Twitter just suspended Bill Clinton rape accuser Juanita Broderick for spreading COVID-19 information. She's pictured there on the right in that uh, that photo. Twitter suspended the account of uh, of uh, Juanita Broderick for spreading COVID information, misinformation about vaccines. Twitter said in an email that was obtained by Fox News, under the policy we have, we require the removal of content that may pose a risk to people's health, including content that goes directly against guidance from authoritative sources of global and local public health information. Authoritative sources, JR. Um, that means no one's allowed to question those sources. No one's allowed to offer counter information to those sources. No one's allowed to debate those sources, JR. Uh, that kind of starts to spell something that we just referred to, the 1930s uh, Germany that we all are very, very familiar with. Anytime a government can't be questioned you run this kind of risk yeah the 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 fact that they use that term you know authoritative sources is very disturbing but it's we, we've come to i don't want to say accept it because we haven't but so many are just rolling over and basically saying and agree and agreeing and forgetting the fact that that's part of our freedoms that you know the, that greatest generation fought for but i i would argue the the more dangerous person in that uh, relationship there would be the former president and uh if, if someone was going to be banned uh it, it would be uh president clinton over his uh <laughs> indiscretions and illegal activities that have come to be an embarrassment over the last uh, a few decades rather than juanita broderick who uh who still has a platform that's largely unheard Moving on, but still talking about Twitter. Um, this is an interesting story. Researchers have determined that nearly half of all accounts that are tweeting about coronavirus are most likely bots. And for those of you who don't know what bots are, these are some type of computer algorithms that are generating uh, tw posts, whether it's on Twitter or in other places, or it could be somebody that's just spamming things too uh, physically. But this is not; these are not genuine accounts. These are these are designed to create some kind of narrative, uh, some type of uh, uh, influence. And uh, this research from Carnegie Mellon University, Juliet says nearly half of all accounts tweeting about coronavirus near, near uh, appear to be bot accounts. Um, this is uh, th this was released on Wednesday. They say 45 percent were sent by accounts that behave more like computerized robots than humans. We do not know that it looks like it's a propaganda we do know excuse me that it looks like it's a propaganda machine and definitely matches russian and chinese playbooks so it's the russians again juliet they're doing all this oh my gosh it's always the russians russia 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 let's be honest the russians don't care how we feel about covid they really don't um it's clearly if anybody's creating bot armies to go on twitter and spin the narrative it's probably us it's not our enemies doing it um i'm pretty sure that trish and i argued with one of those bots one time um 
it's it's very weird and it's one of those things i wish i knew how to get to the bottom of because who is creating them like who who's making all these pictures and bios and tweeting i just like it kind of baffles me that there's somebody out there that made this happen who and why yeah vince among the misinformation disseminated by these bot accounts there was tweeted conspiracy theories about hospitals being filled with mannequins or tweets that connected the spread of coronavirus to 5G wireless towers, uh, which, according to this article, is a notion that is patently untrue. My question to you, Vince, is, and then after, after you answer, go ahead and take it to your story. But my question to you is, that could something like this be a cover for Twitter to allow them to delete more without getting heat for it? It wouldn't surprise me right i mean the the whole idea of the uh the bots are just another way for social media to control what the dialogue is that they want within their platforms uh you know the algorithms i mean think about it i, I think about how much if anybody if it was on if you're on facebook you know especially in the early early days when you saw like information from your friends that were actually your friends on facebook and how much even that has changed because in the algorithms, you don't see these people anymore. The algorithms, and by the way, the the algorithms are inherently racist, by the way they they uh, generate themselves. And, and, and they have now set up, so you only see the information that they want to give you. It's no longer the information you want to see. I mean, the whole idea of calling it a social platform is, is complete BS now. Because uh, a, a social platform would be, you know, you get to go out and you get to speak to the people that you want to speak to. Um, so it's become an absolute, it, it, it really has, it's become, it, it's, it's no longer, I mean, social media is the, the term that it's given, but all this is, is the monetization of the internet. That's all this is. And it's, and once we understand that and get through it, you, you can get through the fact that everything you see and read on your social media platforms is not necessarily true. And that has become a major problem because people have become to re rely on the information they see and they believe it to be true. All right, let's. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the latest Supreme Court nomination and and something that happened late last week. Uh, you can go ahead and play that first video for me. That'd be great. The first clip. I knew it wouldn't be easy, but I knew the person I nominated will be put through a painful and difficult confirmation process. But I have to tell you, what Judge Jackson was put through was well beyond that. So. The judge was put through well beyond a, a painful uh, <laughs> nomination. And if you put up the other clip from the uh, Washington Post, who actually did an editorial on this, they, they actually did an editorial where they said that Jackson was treated worse than Kavanaugh in his hearings. J.R., do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that to be true? Look, that's a softball. I'm going to set up the softball for you. Do you believe that to be yeah. true? And did Republicans <laughs> really did Republicans really treat Brown worse than Kavanaugh? And just because, uh, the, you know, obviously, you know, the president, the president says it, so right, it, we we have to accept it as being truth, right? Well, you just you just uh, answered your own question there. Washington Post and true in the same sentence. I don't generally <laughs> jive too well, but uh, that's fair. And, and, you know, you know, I mean. Uh, Anybody with any memory at, at all would remember the absolute grilling and just grueling process that Kavanaugh went through with, uh, you know, things from his high school that were just, you know, hearsay and it went on and on and on and calls, you know, just brutally assassinating the guy in the court of public opinion. And uh, he stood up and weathered it all because, you know, the truth 
you know, ultimately prevailed. But, uh, you know, everything I saw about the, uh, the vetting process with her was, you know, decisions or policy decisions. Um, she put her foot in her own mouth you know, uh, with her lack of bi biological expertise there. And I mean, uh, um, on the, the pedophile, you know, thing where she was just so light on, it wasn't one case, it was, it was a multitude of cases. I think those were real important questions for her to answer. If she's going to have a lifetime appointment to the highest court in the land. And uh, uh, I, I fail to see any comparison whatsoever between the two other than they were both uh, nominees. Uh, beyond that, I, I, you know, I didn't read that article in the post, but I don't think I need to, you know. No, you really, you don't have to. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know exactly, you know exactly what they said. Uh, JV, if you'll stick that uh, third clip, um, Juliet Fox News actually uh, pointed this out uh, in a, in an article, uh, and if you look at the, I think the sub the subheading reminds us all of how crazy the Kavanaugh hearings went, is that Kavanaugh was questioned at one point about a wild gang rape accusation against him. So <laughs> Kavanaugh, I mean, he was he was more than aggressively questioned by Senate de uh, Democrats. And as this article po uh, po points out, he they went back to his high school days about his drinking habits. We'll all remember about he was grilled about liking to drink beer, if everybody remembers. And uh, on a Tuesday you know, or something, the, he, had, he had a beer on a Tuesday. Yeah, right, right, right. He had a beer, <laughs> beer on a Tuesday while while he was in college. Oh, oh my boy. God. Guilty. You, guilty. <laughs> Yeah. I'll never I'll never become a Supreme Court justice, I'll tell you that. Um so but but which what's interesting is they they go on and and the post does this Juliet in their um in their op-ed. They go on to say that they um that Republicans were 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 going after her asking questions such as her soft sentencing on child pornography offenders. Uh, I know um, uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn had talked about her stance on uh, transgendered individuals. Ted Cruz questioned her uh, on um, her critique of critical race uh, theory and its influence. I would argue that those are all three issues that are very relevant to somebody who's about to sit on the highest court in the land. And probably, well, one of them, of course, is, is how she is ruled, right, on the on child pornography to give you a window in into some of the controversial things she's ruled on as a judge. But the other two issues are certainly things that may end up in front of the Supreme Court as very relevant issues very soon. I mean, absolutely. I just... <laughs> I mean, how how is it that they think they can get away with this? Like, I understand that a lot of people just don't pay attention, but Kavanaugh was not that long ago. Like, we all remember that whole ordeal. And so for them to sit here and tell us that she had it so much worse and all this nonsense, it's just, it's, it's wildly insulting to just the general public, but it's also, I mean what what drugs are they on they asked her to define what a woman is they asked her to explain her record as a judge which you would think is a normal thing to ask somebody you're appointing to the supreme court i just i mean i i watched a lot of those hearings and she was unhappy about it but nothing was really that hard to answer and of course, she's going to be unhappy. Nobody wants to sit and get grilled. But to compare that 
to they didn't go after her personal life they didn't go after the wild stories of they didn't even they didn't even try to attempt to bring up uh wild stories about her past or anything like that so the the whole idea is is kind of crazy and and uh jv i have one more clip there if you would uh, play that one and i was in the foot him uh, foot, excuse me the foothills of the himalayas with xi jinping i was in the foot him uh, foot, foot excuse me the foothills of the himalayas with xi jinping I was in the foot him, uh, foot, foot, excuse me, the foothills of the Himalayas with Xi Jinping. So JV, that's not even really relevant to the story other than that <laughs> happened at that press conference. And you zoom in there and Kamala Harris and she, I mean, come on. I mean, she's, she's, you got to wonder what she's thinking some days because that is just really unfortunate for her. But, but I do have a serious question though for you in this JV. And of course I, I, I like to, you know, I know how much on the independence game we like to, uh, Play the uh, you know the uh, the the Porky Pig uh, impressions by the president. So why? Exactly. But but seriously, why can't the Democrats? I mean, you won. You you got your nominee. This is a great day for your party. It's a great day. Joe Biden, as bad as a president as everyone thinks he is, has a Supreme Court justice that he was named. That is going to probably be his one and only legacy that he'll be able to clamp onto. JV, why can't they just take the victory lap? Why do they have to be so damn negative and nasty and 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 just take the take the you know the gloves off and go into a a, a battle when there isn't even one to ha to fight? You've already won. Yeah. First of all, I cannot imagine the training and discipline it takes. For Kamala Harris, I mean, we, we criticize her all the time for a lot of things, but how disciplined yeah. can, is she that she can stand there and not, I mean, she gave a little bit of a hint of what the hell is he talking about now? What the hell, oh, is, is he going to finish this sentence or not? But she's there all the time when he's doing this, and she really has learned how to keep a straight face because I wouldn't be able to. I'd be like, get this guy out of here. He, he can't even put a sentence together. But, you know, they've all learned that they just have to sit there and be stone-faced about it while he's, uh, first of all, that first clip that, we, that you played, we had, you know, he's trying to read this teleprompter, and he's not getting the phrasing of the sentence is correct no, so the whole right. message is lost i mean it's completely lost whether it was a good message or not it's just destroyed and then he's doing that thing where we've seen that more and more often that's clearly a sign of dementia where you get right. stuck and in, in, you know in, in a word yeah. you can't spit it out and and that's happening more and more often um but you're right. These people are never happy, Vince. They can't be happy. They've been trained to be miserable, and they want the rest of us to feel that misery. They want it. To, they want to bash us overhead the head with with the misery. How dare we be happy about living in a free country? How dare we make decisions for ourselves and our children? How dare we enjoy life? Because. They are miserable people. We need to be miserable, too. So, no, they're never happy. And just another comment about the comparison between Kavanaugh and Katenji Brown-Jackson. There is no comparison. They handled her with kid gloves. Yeah, they asked some tough questions about some uh, sentences she gave out for child pornographers. Yeah, they asked her to define a woman. That should have been a home run. It should have been easy. She made it hard for herself. Uh but they handled her with kid gloves. I didn't hear anything about her personal life. They dissected Brett Kavanaugh's personal life all the way back to high school. They went through his high school yearbook. And so what did this mean? It said, hey, you're, you're, right. a, you're a fun guy at a party. Ha, ha, ha. What did that mean? They, they, did, they tried 
to destroy him. It was a complete character assassination for Kavanaugh. And with uh, Katenji Brown Jackson, they barely, barely touched her. It was kid gloves. So I'd love someone to run those hearings side by side and and kind of just stop and go back and forth so you can actually remember how horrible yeah. the Democrats were to Kavanaugh. Yeah, that would actually be a great side by side, wouldn't it? To really see that because you're, you're absolutely right. There's no, there is no comparison between those two. Not and, even close. You know, I, and I still, and I still think it was a, the political. I think it was politically smart for the Republicans to get this done, get it through. Don't make it a midterm issue. You guys are on top going to the midterms. Don't screw it up. But and then you know, but they they just they. You're absolutely right. They just can you imagine every day of your life you wake up figuring out what you're going to be angry about today? It's unreal. It's unreal. I can't imagine. The only way they know how to survive, uh, and this is one of the things that they're always pissed off. Did you want me to go? You want me to go now, right? Is that what, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. yeah, yeah this is this is one of those things that they're perpetually pissed off about. So another state has told its teachers it can hide students' gender identity from parents. This is unbelievable. The New Jersey Education Department's official guidance on the subject of gender uh, identity for students states that a that, quote, a school district shall accept a student's asserted gender identity. Parental consent is not required. JR, you've got experience on a school board. This is the wedge that that f- makes it official in my book. The state now completely wants to control children. Parents be damned. You know, as much as this has been in the public domain of late, it still just baffles me that this this has become the state of affairs in in schools certainly in some states it's not ubiquitous yet but 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 for you know i had a conversation with an individual here just a couple of weeks ago you know, a former teacher a business person now so they have a unique perspective on it both ways and uh, and you know we were going back and forth on it and it was amazing the perspective that teachers have is that you know, they 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 seem to think that you know they're in a position because the parents are lacking, and and I'll admit in some respects some parents really are lacking. They they drop them off at seven thirty and they don't want to see them again till till uh, after school program that ends at five, but they're still the parents, you know, and and they're those God given rights they have for their kids. I you know for them to be excluded from something like that. Uh, and to put that into policy that a school uh, board would then enforce, uh, it's just, you know, it's just to me, it's it's just a, an example of the sad testimony of where we've come a, a, as a society. And the fact that that has to be a thing uh, is still very troubling to me. Uh, and But it, it's, it's, it's an example of the, the degradation, I think, of... Uh, a moral society, really. I mean, if we, we were to present that to the uh, uh, 30 years ago, uh, you would have been laughed, laughed out of the room. So it, it's just slowly what we've become. And I'm, I'm not, you know, getting into the transgender thing at all. I'm, I'm just, me, it's a parent right thing is what we're talking about here. And that's the thing that's very troubling to me. The parents should always be first. JR, I would say that 10 years ago that, that you would have been laughed out of the room if if you were talking this way. And it has accelerated so incredibly quickly. It's it's really quite frightening. Juliet, the guidance adds that there will be, quote, no affirmative, that there is no affirmative duty for the school district to notify a student's parent 
Uh, even if a parent disagrees with a student changing their name and pronouns, school staff should continue to refer to the student by their new name and their new pronouns, according to this guidance. The guidance even recommends to warn transgender students that talking about other transgender students at home could, quote, inadvertently disclose the student's transgender status to parents. This is covert. This is a complete undermining of parental rights and the ability of a parent to to determine how their children are raised. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's insidious. Honestly, they're since when is it okay for an, a, an adult in any form to like help kids keep secrets from their parents and to uh, undermine the parent-child relationship and bond? I mean, like this isn't, we're not talking about abusive households where they're trying to protect a student from a bad home life. This is literally just like, we're going to let you live a completely separate life at school in our care than the one your parents are aware of and will help you with that. Like, I mean, ugh, it makes me so mad. I, there should be laws against this, honestly. Like, it's just so wrong. I, uh, I, I <laughs> you just get so angry about this whole topic. Like, how dare they? I uh, I didn't highlight this, so I need to find it. But I want to uh, I want to point out one of the teachers. Eight, one teacher said about this quote: "If a student in my class was failing my class because they failed to complete homework, would I ever lie and tell a parent that they've completed everything, or just not communicate with the family at all because the student might get in trouble for not doing the homework?" Um, I should not be burdened with this extremely sensitive responsibility of rearing impressionable 13 or 14 year old students and potentially keeping the gender or sexual preference of a student secret from their family. So some teachers get it, Vince. Yeah, uh, you would think, uh, I think, I think there's a number of teachers who actually, uh, would get it, uh, if you will. Um, I, I, this here, I'm going to go there with this because I'm not sure that this, I don't think it's inappropriate to go here with it, but what parent is missing the fact that little Johnny's acting a little more like little Jane? I mean, you're telling me you have to hide their gender identity, but a parent doesn't already realize. I mean, that is a pretty, I, it, to my, in my opinion, that's a pretty absentee parent. If you notice your, 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 your child is in a situation where they don't identify as the, as the gender they are. It, and even if it's within a family where it may not be accepted and, and where a, a child would think they have to hide it, then it, it's still going to be noticed. I just don't understand how, how the school thinks it can autonomously just decide that, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to make, you know, we're going to, we're going to do this and we're not going to share this information. We're not going to involve the, the, the children and, and, and let's not, or involve the parents. And let's be honest, look at, look at all the decisions your schools have been making that we've all come to that have come to, uh, very forward in the last couple of years where they're making decisions and they don't even feel that the parents should be part of that decision making uh but real quick because i could probably go on too long about this one but um this is going to be an absolute breakdown of the entire educational system that we have and the reason i believe that is the educational system i believe is outdated it's set to a very monolithic you know, almost a factory type mentality where we're going to put all these kids out that are all going to be the same. We're going to teach to the whole body and we're not going to teach, you know, to the, to the, the we've, we've done away with gifted and talented. We've done away with special, you know, with special ed. We're trying to make it all of this, this monolithic type of student that comes out and, and we've molded them into the same 
person over and over again. We've taken the create. We we we've taken it out. It's never been there. We do, we don't we don't push for creativity in the students. We don't push for critical thinking. We don't push for all these things other than that that same you know it's it's the Pink Floyd right brick in a wall and it's the same kind of thing. Oh you know that that they try to. If you start with just one piece where where it's going to be, you know, you get to identify differently than everybody else, that is going to be a breakdown of the system. And before they can they can do this in a safe way, I would even say for the students, you've you have to you're talking a total restructuring of the educational system and how we approach education in this country. Before you could even talk about, oh, we're going to bring gender identity even into the conversation. Yeah, how about they learn to read, write, and do those things first before we start playing around with these well, things? Uh, Jr., no I wasn't gonna, I wasn't going to go around about the, uh, with this again, but I actually just thought of something, and maybe I'm way off base here. But we just in the beginning of the program we opened up this a discussion about the greatest generation, and I don't know what the stats are about the greatest generation, but I can tell you this: many of them never finished high school. A lot of those adults had to work through the depression. So my, I know my grandfather left school in the sixth grade to get a job to help support his family. And, and they, they didn't go through a public education system in that regard. And they were the, some of the most impressive patriots this country has ever produced. Could there be a connection there? Could there be a connection? Because we just got done talking about the fact we don't think we could recreate that generation here. Yeah, they, they, they learned because they had to. Um, they didn't have a choice and they didn't question it either. You know, I, I know, I mean, my dad, um, my dad was born in 1928. Um, he was a dairy farmer, so he didn't go to the war. He supported the war as many did. You know, we made things in this country. Factories were retrofitted to basically support the war and people sacrificed. You, you, you didn't, things weren't available on certain days and you had to, you know, there was all kinds of things that people did to support the, the war. And I would hope if it came down to it, we would do that. But we're so far removed from, from that in uh, that so many, a, a significant percentage of our country can't even comprehend that if they haven't read about it. So it's, uh, they, they definitely were not, uh, you know, these monolithic, as Vince said, individuals that were vanilla and came out of a factory and were all the same. These were people that learned the hard way. They had a hard work ethic. They, they, they cared about a job well done. They could go to bed at night knowing they and sleep well because they worked hard and they made a difference. And those were important things to people. And they, they truly are, uh, they're, they're unparalleled probably. Uh, you know, I, I've been off on my centuries, uh, on my, uh, generations here all night. So I won't try to categorize this one again, but, uh, but, they are unparalleled in, in certainly my memory, and uh, and I, I would argue that they may always be. Uh, by the way, thank you to Matt1776 for the gift of the cookie in our Foxhole chat. We appreciate that. Juliet, uh, again in this story, since we've, we're going around again on it, the Department of Education in New Jersey said it consulted with parents and teachers as well as mental health professionals and advocates when creating this guidance. How many parents do you really think they talk to about this? Because I don't know. I would say out of 100 parents, you'd, uh, 99 of them wouldn't be okay with this. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, this is one of the things that actually drives me really crazy about this whole topic is 
I feel like uh, even with the Florida bill, right, they, they like to pull people in general and ask their opinion. I don't really care what a single 25-year-old's opinion is on anything. Like, I want to know what parents think. And I bet most parents are very against this because it's scary. But I will say also, like, you know, this New Jersey thing, talking like, what, 13, 14-year-old kids, like, if you imagine that time of life, that's, I remember that there were girls in my grade that would change their shirt when they got to school because their dad didn't want them to wear, like, spaghetti straps. So they'd, they'd, you know, change at school. Like, that's about as bad as it used to be. But it's a, it's a developmental stage where you do these things and you fit in and you start having this kind of separate life with your friends and with your family and encouraging that in such like a, in this way is just uh, these kids are going to grow up so messed up like we're creating just a disaster generation right now we we are we certainly are by the way washington state vince also has this uh this type of uh policy on the books and also in new jersey and another change to their policy um they have decided they will offer or not offer they will give uh Lessons on gender gender identity starting this fall uh, when the new state sex education guidelines go into effect in September. They will be one of the lessons plans, for example, and this is, quote, you might feel like you're a boy even if you have a even if you have body parts that some might tell you are girl parts. Uh, so that's where they're going with this, Vince. I don't know what the what the objective is in all this. I don't think it's. I don't know. I don't think it's what they stated is. There's something very nefarious to all of this. Comment on that, and then we'll go to your next story. Yeah, uh, to me, it seems like it's more an indoctrination of, of, of an agenda that people want to sell more than it is an actual educational piece. Uh, listen, uh, I'm, I'm fine with education talking about if there are differences within people, but it has to be done in some sort of educational context that makes sense. You know, uh, there's, there's biology class for the sake of learning, you know, all, all of the, the differences between the male and the female. So if you're going to teach it within that context, you have to teach it within that context. And I guarantee that's not what they're doing, right? They're going to do this as a gender studies or some other kind of uh, different, you know, different type of, 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 of curriculum that once again, you know, I guarantee they're not asking parents. They're not, you know, this isn't referendum at your at your ballot uh, box uh, to find out, you know, who, you know, and uh, to, you know, to have any kind of say in this whatsoever. So, and, and, and you know, I'm going to tell you, and I think we've seen a change in the last, uh, this is a recent change. A lot of people in a, live in a lot of school districts that have had some very ho-hum school board elections. I think it's time for the ho-hum school board elections to start getting a little bit uh, of notice. And you need to start knowing who you're electing and how they stand on some very critical issues if you think you want to have a say in not just your child's education, but the education of society and 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 where we're, we're headed for the next, you know, at least maybe maybe decade, if not longer. When they when they start to implement these things without any without any checks or balances, JV, you can uh, I I I want to talk about this because I'm really interested to see what people think about this next one. Um, just uh, Saturday night, uh, former President uh, Donald Trump endorsed Dr. Oz for uh, U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania, um, and I know it's it's caused some consternation among among uh, Trump's most uh, loyal, uh, loyal folks, uh, in, uh, in, in making the endorsement, 
Um, President Trump said that uh, Pennsylvania voters have a tremendous opportunity to save America by electing the brilliant and well-known candidate, uh, a uh, brilliant and well-known candidate. Uh, Trump said that he's known uh, Dr. Oz for many years and have uh, and, and how many others, even, even though if they only know him through a successful TV show, uh, that there's many people that know him and noted that his medical, uh, you know, that he's noted for his medical advice. But he uh, he even said that, uh, he even told Trump at one point that he was in extraordinary health, in which the president made it known during the endorsement that uh, Oz told him this. And uh, uh, I, I find it very interesting that that this endorsement was made. But uh, at the issue seems to be that that, like I said, some of Trump's most fervent supporters um, believe that the TV physician, who's you know known to be uh, you know he he's he must be tight with the Hollywood elite, and he's flip flopped on some very uh, critical issues to to the right of center folks. One of those issues being uh, uh, abortion. A lot of people think that he's not necessarily trustworthy to the conservative movement, uh, and he's certainly not trustworthy as an America uh, an America first uh, type Republican candidate. And uh, you know you he's running against uh, uh, David McCormick. In, in Pennsylvania, who has the former Trump administration official Hope Hicks uh, advising him in the campaign. So it, it seems to be a very interesting left turn for President Trump to do this. Um, if you remember, Sean Parnell was actually in this race, who many know is tight with Trump, but he dropped out for for other reasons, some some allegations. But um, even he came out and uh, uh, to say that he has enormous respect for for the president, and he was you know he was honored to have an endorsement from President Trump, but said how he's disappointed uh, by this appointment, and that uh, Dr. Oz is the antithesis of everything that made Trump the best president of his lifetime. Uh, longtime operative, a good friend of mine, Roger Stone, uh, also jumped on uh, on social media saying, "Wait, President Trump endorsed this guy with a picture of Dr. Oz." So certainly some consternation among the Trump faithful. Uh, Juliet, tell me, what do you think? I mean, do you think? I mean, does does the Dr. Oz endorsement really fly in the face of Trump supporters and those America First backers? You know, like I I'm confused by it. Um, I have to say, I don't know enough about. Dr. Oz as a person, I mean, I I know him as the guy on TV, to be totally honest with you, and I that's as far as I go with him. Um, but I will, the point I can make here is uh, Trump is not infallible. He trusted Pence for four years, and there, there was never any obvious rift between them until the very end, right? So he's definitely put his trust in people that didn't have his interests at heart before. But at the same time, if he's known Dr. Oz for a really long time, maybe he knows something we don't know, but I I, I don't know. It's, it's a weird situation. Yeah. It is. And, and, and JR, the, the reasoning seems to be pretty varied. Um, you've got some who think that because Dr. Oz is on TV and is a TV celebrity that Donald Trump kind of sees a little bit of himself in him. Obviously, we've already heard that there's others that don't believe that, but there are many that think that, you know, he was on TV. I was on TV. That's what, you know, and, and Juliet kind of kind of brought up some of those uh, some of those similarities uh, that that's kind of who Trump was before before he got started. But there's others that are saying that, you know, it's like Donald Trump has staff around him and Juliet kind of made this uh, made this um 
uh, this kind of reference that, you know, he's got staff around him that they're trying to sabotage Trump by convincing him to make, you know, these terrible endorsements, um, you know, and, and but does he still have those people around him today? Uh, you know, Trump has has kind of made his name as like that rogue actor who I, and I've I've heard from people around him that 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 folks who've worked very close with him say you really can't control the guy you know he does his, he beats to he marches to his own his own drum and he's going to do what he wants and you can't you can't necessarily stop him and you know uh, some and there's others that think that you know uh you know there's there's too many of those people though that are still around him that that you know that Trump is is being affected by those who are still working in the swamp uh but then there's other, also Others that you know question the endorsement, wondering, you know, has has Donald Trump gone a little bit the other way, and and is this Jr. Is this like you know the 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 celeb, you know, the cause celeb that Donald Trump was before he became president? Is that the similarity that that attracts him to a Dr. Oz kind of candidate? You know, I I think there's a lot of a lot of that. Um, you know, Trump, as Julia said, is not infallible. Um, you know, I, I viewed him certainly whether he runs or not. It certainly looks like he might, uh, but at a minimum, being the kingmaker. And I actually met Dr. Oz. He was up up in Cooperstown, maybe what, ten years ago, something like that. I was a, he was a guest of the hospital, mm-hmm. and uh, nice, charismatic guy. But uh, I can't help but remember, you know, Trump was a Democrat himself, and evolved. And you know, how many people didn't trust him? But you know, they 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 bit their tongue and they pulled the lever and hoped and guess what he put three conservative judges you know uh right in in the supreme court some uh, may argue that with you jr some may argue how some of these justices are acting but (laughs) the point point taken Uh, well well i get that too but uh, uh at any rate everything basically trump said he basically acted on. It. He didn't, you know, he he didn't uh, he didn't get to the deficit and maybe some of the fiscal conservative type things that I would have liked, but you name it uh, across the board, he 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 accomplished more of his platform than I would argue certainly any modern president, and and for him to endorse uh, Dr. Oz, you know, who has shifted on some of his views to be more conservative now. You know, I, 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 I would give Trump the benefit of the doubt on this one. Um, I think he may see a little bit of himself who evolved himself, had some celebrity himself. And, uh, you know, he but admittedly, he was he was backing uh, Parnell until he had the uh, uh, marital issues or whatever it was there. So, right. you know, he was he wasn't jumping on the Oz bandwagon strictly for celebrity. Uh, and I would remind people of that. He did. Because based on the candidates that are there, uh, he figures Oz is, in my view, going to move the needle better than the alternatives. And uh, incremental improvement is how I would look at it, quite possibly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great points. Um, You know, JV, both guests actually use the uh the, the the phrase that trump isn't infallible and you know what do you think that i mean was this a mistake um certainly i mean you have a mitch mcconnell so you want to talk about where the swamp stands on this thing mitch mcconnell staying completely neutral in fact he, i think he's his 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 public statement has been you know we're going to win the seat regardless of who the candidate is that's how positive they feel about it and they were going to let it you know let it play out in the primary so it makes you wonder uh is 
is it is it a a, a moment of weakness? Is that what President Trump showed, or uh, maybe maybe he saw some poll numbers and and like Jr. said, hey, he's going to go in and play kingmaker to the guy who's got the best the best numbers in the poll, and he knows that that you know he feels confident. I mean, seven months out, that that Oz is going to win this thing. Well, there's always that possibility that he's got access to some information that we don't have that makes him think this is a good move. The other thing, and, and, and I'm just speculating here because I don't know much about the relationship between Dr. Oz and Donald Trump. I don't know if, how far back it goes, what they've said about each other in the past, other than what we've just kind of shared here. But um, one of the things that Trump is, is he's, he's a loyalty guy. And if you support him along the way, he's going to return the favor. And if you cross him, he's going to return that favor doubly or tenfold. So there might be a loyalty Loyalty thing in here too, and we have to remember Pennsylvania is also a purple state. Um, people also uh, often criticize Susan Collins. I do all the time from Maine. However, a hardcore, a conservative probably wouldn't win the Senate seat in Maine. So you kind of take the rhino where you have to, because at least you get the Senate, you get the you get the R on the Senate seat. Therefore, you you know you get closer to having that majority. That's a possibility as well. And I also will say this: Trump has some pretty interesting instincts. A lot of people have said he's been wrong a lot of times, and history has shown that he was right on a lot of things. So again, we have to be cautious about what we criticize him for, even if it looks weird through our lens right now. Now, having said all that, I think there's something very, very important we have to talk about or mention here. Donald Trump is not a conservative. He's not a conservative. He is a middle-of-the-road guy at best. It just so happens he's an America-first middle-of-the-road guy. So those policies line up with a lot of the things that we might talk about and believe here. But he would have worked with the Democrats had they not vilified him in his for in his in his uh, four years as president, he would have been. God knows what would have happened. Actually, I mean, he could have gone m far more left than any of us would have expected if he had had a friendly Democrat party at the time. But he didn't. So he worked with the people who would work with him. And even at times, the Republicans wouldn't do that. But he got more favorability there. Now, I'm not saying this to be critical of Donald Trump. I'm saying this just because we have to recognize he is not a conservative. Look at some of the positions he takes and things he says. It's not. It's not a conservative handbook. You know, his policies don't line up that way. Thankfully, it's America first, which I think is the overriding principle. And maybe that's what he sees in Dr. Oz. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think you're right. I think you're right about that. Um, you know, I think I think your your assessment of, of Trump is, is kind of spot on. Uh, but 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 even even more so, Donald Trump won an election because he was so well known at the time because he was on television and while no i don't think he's he's gonna i mean he's just not gonna trust me he's not gonna endorse just anybody who's on tv or, or from hollywood just for the sake of doing it just like you know ronald reagan had other qualities other than being an actor right he he, he ran the screen guild actors you know he's the head of the screen guild uh, uh, association he did things outside of that and his 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 policies made him more than just a hollywood actor however it's that name id that really does mean something and i think that's a little bit of what he sees here is a guy who has the name id to go in and you're right you make the susan collins reference if there aren't more r's than d's in the senate even though some might be a little more moderate or even more left than we want them to be we don't get to drive the agenda we don't drive policy unless there's more r's than d's in those chairs at the end of the day yeah, the one that really baffles me is the Mitt Romney one, though, because Utah is a very conservative state, and and how yeah. he does wow. what he does there, I don't get that's, it. 
that's that's they're not they're they're voting for him because of that it's it's a it's a it's a he's like us because of religion there. Yeah, I, I suppose I suppose that's what that is. You know, you get all those Mormons to come out and vote for you, you're gonna win in Utah. Yeah, for sure. Uh it seems like they'd have a more conservative Mormon running against him. But we'll see. Let's talk about one more thing before we call it a night here. Uh I think this is another uh affirmation that our ideas are better. A new study reveals Florida and GOP led states dominate COVID nineteen best responses and Democrat led states rank among the worst the report card on the state's measures and compares states performance on three metrics the economy education and mortality from the virus the states that received it received an f can anybody guess which states there are i won't make you guess but i'll i'll, I'll bet you all can new jersey new york california <laughs> new jersey new york california illinois and washington dc not a state but they tried to make it a state. These states performed poorly on every single measure. The top performers were Utah, Nebraska, Vermont, Montana, and Florida. Now, Vermont is not necessarily considered to be a red state, but they have a, they have a Republican governor. So I guess that's why um, they, they're considered to be a GOP victory. Um, of the top ranking 18 states, the top 18 on those metrics, 16 of them are led by Republican governors, Jr. This seems to be uh, a, a feather in the cap of conservative ideas, Republican-led states. Yeah, that's that's pretty telling. And uh, I'll just point out it was not in the Washington Post either. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. Right. But, I mean, it, it's so blatantly and glaringly obvious, you know, what what the more conservative states did. And now the results, you know, and, and, and we're still relatively in the aftermath. Uh, imagine what it's going to tell as more and more data comes out and time elapses. But, uh, you know, the free states and I, you know, Vermont's kind of independent, really. So, I mean, I wouldn't put them certainly in the, in the, in a blue category, but they, they elected Bernie Sanders. They elected. Well, I know. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're a little rogue, I guess at times, but, uh, but, uh, you know, certainly DeSantis has gotten so much right down there and, and, and he deserves, you know, uh, the applause that he's getting from, you know, certainly the conservative side and and even respect of the uh, independents. And, uh, you know, you, you can't argue uh, with this data. It, it's it's so glaring the difference between the two. I've been down to Florida a couple of times during during COVID and it is a different world, you know, down there. And and to see the result and the you know you I've said, I've talked about this for a while now the kids um, it's going to take I mean they they've I won't say permanent but they've had some significant uh, issues going through COVID that it will take a while for them to recover in some ways you know some of these kids you know these first graders they've never been to school without a mask on before. You know, and they're having speech issues and just, you know, this isn't political. It, it's it's un-American almost what what these blue states have done uh, in these lockdowns for basically, you know, businesses has been closed permanently because of these lockdowns. It's not wasn't just, oh, I made a wrong decision. The, the control that these states did and the, and the negative consequences that have happened compared to the the more conservative and free states 
is remarkable, and uh, and I would love to see um, an article in the Washington Post uh, underscoring this difference, but uh, we'll probably have to wait for that one. Yeah, JR, I'll mention that when you close down a lot of small businesses, you bring the unemployment numbers down because those jobs no longer exist, so it makes it easier. Um, again, Juliet, 18 states, 16 are led by Republican governors. No Democrat-led states appear in the top five. And I'll also mention this. Despite the emphasis on Florida's openness versus California's restrictions, two very diametrically opposed approaches to COVID, there was virtually no difference in death rates between the two states. They were almost identical, showing that it didn't matter that California did all that lockdown stuff. It had no effect. Well, I'd argue it had an effect. It had a terrible effect That's on true. just the society in general. Um, you know, it, this is one of those things that it's going to take people a long time to really come to terms with. Because I don't know how it is where you guys live, but we haven't had a mask mandate in the state for a while in the county I live in, maybe I think it was like two months ago we lifted it. Everywhere I go, everyone is still wearing masks. They can't let it go. Like everyone is wearing masks. So for, I mean, we're not going to be able to wake those people up for a long time to really look at this and say like, wow, all those places that didn't do this are so much better off just as a whole. And we, you know, damaged our children, destroyed our small businesses, set ourselves back, and then created just absolutely neurotic people in our society that feel emboldened to act like they're in the right all the time. And uh, Vince, a final point about this is that the study also offered an important insight regarding states' rights from the study, noting that one of the wisest policy decisions was to ultimately let the 50 states and their governors and legislators make their own pandemic response policies. And this goes on to say that federalism worked. Now, if you remember the genesis of that, first, Trump was called a dictator because he was establishing federal policy. And then he backed off and said, we're going to let the let the governors do it. And then, and then he said he wasn't doing anything. He was throwing it all on the backs of the governors and not doing his job. Um, but it turned out, at least according to the analysis in this article, that letting the states do it themselves was the best approach. Uh, sure, it was the best approach if you were if your state was run by a governor, and in this case, it looks like a Republican governor who was going to do the right things for the right reasons and actually treat this as the, uh, the treat this as a response needed at the time to to equal right the 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 response had the equal the the uh the crisis you were in and and i'm going to use new york as an example i mean we killed 15,000 seniors when we stuffed them all back into nursing homes with covid and you know at the same time we had a we have a, obviously our democratic governor who's now re, you know resigned from office uh you know we had we had a uh, a decommissioned battleship in new york harbor ready to put thousands of people tens of thousands of people into it and and we didn't use it for one single person and the sole reason we didn't is because donald trump parked the damn the damn battleship there uh you know our governor collected five million dollars on a book deal about his wonderful covid response mid-pandemic it didn't even wait to the end 
And, and, and at the end of the day, this is what the Democrats want. They want to rule by fear. They want to manipulate. They want to control the dynamic, control the messaging, and then ultimately get to control the people. New York was in an absolute, and I think, I think down the road someday, a long time from now, a lot of this will come out and, and, and we'll find out the truth behind a lot of the motivation behind why states had different reactions. New York was in a horrible economic situation prior to this pandemic horrible. We were never going to dig ourselves out of this hole. All of a sudden now, guess what this year in, in 2020, New York state has a surplus of money because it all came from the federal response money. So don't think for a second that you had, you had certain people in power in some of these states who knew in the back of their mind, the worse we make this, the better off it's going to be for us in the end. Uh, it's funny. I had a conversation with a good friend of mine. Many of you know who he is. He's an executive at the local hospital here. And the local hospital has been struggling for quite some time. And I asked him how things are going. He said, great. We had actually had a surplus that year. And I said to him, how much of that was COVID money and how much of it will be back next year? He said, a lot of it was COVID money and it's not coming back. It's going to be worse next year than it was right. the year prior. So right. this is, again, setting up another catastrophic uh budgetary situation because these like in new york state they'll get used to that one year of surplus they'll find ways to spend it all and then it won't show up next yes, year well it's oh, they did and they did yeah they did and i will i will add one lighter note too just to this because it's pretty pretty serious heavy topic you know there's a lot of these blue states who they they want their death rates to go up because that's how they drive larger voter enrollment in november <laughs> <laughs> Excellent point. I have one more thing yeah. that I want to point out here, uh, Jr. in this particular article, and I have a couple real quick things. I said this would be the last, but I do want to touch on a couple of these quick ones here. Um, this this uh, study also looked at the relationship between unemployment and social problems, and they've determined that for each 1% percentage point increase in the unemployment rate, and it was the blue states that had the higher unemployment rate, there were 920 more suicides and 650 more homicides for each point uh, in higher uh, unemployment rate, JR. So, you know, Juliet touched on some of these societal effects. You did too. Um, those are real numbers to indicate how it affected it in real world situations. Yeah, not, not a surprise. And, and again, reinforcing the tragedy that the poor decisions of, of largely what the blue states did here, you know, you don't get those lives back. You don't get those businesses back. You know, I know, I know, I mean, uh, it just in my, uh, circle, you know, businesses that have been around for multiple generations and they're gone and they're, and they aren't coming back. And they were, uh, simply a fact that they, they had to shut down and they didn't have the capacity to, to write it out. And they were, you know, decent businesses that have been around a long time. So, you know, but, but a business is, is one thing, human lives is another. And, and the fact that there's a, uh, a parallel to being locked down and these, uh, you know, suicide rates, homicide rates, crime, all that, uh, it's not surprising. And, you know, the, the postmortem on, on COVID will be, uh, I, I hope it is well-documented so that the next time we can have it as a reference and and not have a debate on what the right approach might be in a majority of the states because you have the data follow the data right we were told that over and over follow the data well now we have the data and i hope we would follow that uh in the future 
I'm going to throw this next uh, article at Juliet. Uh, I'm not sure if you're going to have anything to say about this. You may, I don't want to turn to judge or anything, but what I was, my, my point here is that if anybody else wants to jump in on this particular story, let me know. But, um, all right, the USFL, a new football league, is going to be getting rid of the chains to measure first downs, and instead it'll be measuring first downs by placing a microchip and some kind of geolocation in the ball. In addition to that, it's going to be out, outfitting two players on every team with helmet cans. Juliet, is all this high-tech shenanigans going to A, improve football and make the USFL a successful competitor to the NFL? What's your thoughts? I think it's great because obviously no one can hack into anything. Like, that's not a thing that people can do. <laughs> <laughs> what? Like, why? Like, there are certain things that should remain analog, like chains between the down thingies. <laughs> like, why are we relying on GPS and stuff? And also, like, the thing I don't understand is if you've ever driven in a big city and you're desperately relying on your GPS and, like, geolocation and stuff, it always messes up. And it's like, oh, just kidding. You're going this way. Actually, take a right. You know, like, it <laughs> doesn't work. When you're surrounded by steel and concrete, so it's just dumb, stupid. I don't like it. Yeah, Julia makes a good point, Vince. It it opens up another angle for failure. You know, when how many of us have have had our technology fail? Jr., you've had a whole career of technology failure. So we all we've all yeah we've all experienced that. Uh, before I let you comment on this, though, I do want to add something else, and I meant to bring this up when you were talking about Dr. Oz and Trump. But another Trump endorsed candidate, Herschel Walker, has been avoiding all of the uh, GOP debates in uh, Georgia uh, for that race there. Um, I've seen Herschel Walker speak. I understand why he's skipping the debates, frankly. Um, he's leading in the polls. He's not particularly sharp with his answers when he's asked questions. So I imagine in a debate setting, he'd probably he's probably pretty vulnerable. Uh, so it might yeah. be the strategy. But here you go. This is somebody that Donald Trump has endorsed, if I remember correctly. And again, it's a celebrity. You know, it's a football hero, whatever. Uh, so maybe there is a pattern to this. Um, yeah, there actually may, may be a pattern. First, let me tell you, good for, good for him. I think to to not debate, it takes a lot of discipline to, to <laughs> continually and not crack under that pressure. Trust me, I've seen it. I've seen it. I've been there. Um, I, I'm glad. He, I, good. Don't debate if you're up by if you're up by 30 points. Don't give your don't give your opponent the the time of day to and an equal stage. I totally agree from a strategy standpoint. You know, from a democracy standpoint, <laughs> eh, whatever. But you well, know. isn't that how P uh, Pataki won? Isn't that how Pataki won? Um, in the in the later in the later uh, reelects, I know I think I his, second, his first reelection, the second term, he, he didn't, didn't. Did he debate I mean, the first the, when he ran against Cuomo? Yeah, oh, he did. Yeah, there were definitely debates, and uh, I, it was it was. I want to say the tables were turned for a while, where uh, Mario Cuomo actually wouldn't debate him until all of a sudden they had some polling numbers that showed the thing was tightening up, oh, and, okay. and Mario had to was forced was kind of forced to do it so but then yes i i believe his uh who the hell did he run against i can't remember it, see this is this this tells you why it works i i can't remember who he ran against after in his first re-election yeah. um so i, I remember his, i remember his second re-elect was against carl mccall but that's i can't remember peter green i think it was so, uh, he was the he was a new york city elected 
Yeah. So yeah, it's a footnote in history, right? It really is. Um, so yeah, don't don't debate. Um, and I, I got to be honest mm-hmm. with you, uh, as far as the uh, chip in the football, I actually believe that one of the biggest mistakes in, in, that occurs over and over again is the spot of the football. <laughs> it's one of the biggest human errors in the entire game that affects the outcome. And I'm also in favor of getting rid of the uh, umpire behind the plate. Wow. Oh. All right. So I have yeah. to I have to ask. Yep. I'll throw it to JR, yep. but you may want to respond too, Vince. <laughs> isn't human isn't the human error, the human judgment element of these games part of the game? Otherwise you might as well play it on a computer. Vince, yeah. you yeah. live in Cooperstown. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. The human element so, of baseball well. is the essence of it. You know, the uh, you know the raw emotion and uh, being able to yell at those umpires. Imagine <laughs> having like a camera like you got oh. in, in tennis where it just yeah. identifies the exact strike zone. I, I, I want some judgment calls on there. I want I want a pitcher that slowly <laughs> works the ball a little bit further off the edge and, until he doesn't get the call and then moves it back. It's part of the science of the game and what makes it great. It. You know, I, I love it. You know, I got to be honest. Sounds, J- sounds, like a, sounds like a video game starting to happen there. I don't know. Yeah. JR, JR, I got to be honest. You made the best the best counter argument I've heard so far, <laughs> and that's I, I would miss yelling at the yelling at the refs. So. I wouldn't miss I mean, that part of it. Part and of, as far as isn't part of the as, game as as also the, the umpire, you know, the pitch the pitcher says something rude to the umpire, so all of a sudden the umpire strike zone gets a little tighter. <laughs> I mean, isn't there isn't that part of this emotional battle is that is baseball? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you gotta know who the umpire is behind the plate. Some of them have a little bit higher strike zone. You gotta learn that. It's part of the nuance of the game and uh, makes it makes it intriguing. Man, who who knew that was the most controversial thing I'd say all night? <laughs> However, I will tell you since I since you brought up Jr. that I live in Cooperstown, I am I am a one hundred percent let Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame guy. Oh boy, you're 100%. really you're really hitting all the hot buttons yeah. tonight, Vince. Oh, let, let Pete in. <laughs> let Pete in. By the way, Pete I, Pete Rose I, is a I bit of a bit of a nasty individual. Pete Rose is a bit of a bit of a nasty individual. I had an encounter with him. So is Ty Cobb. You know, there's lots of there's That's lots true. of non non gentlemen in the Hall of Fame, and uh, I don't think uh, <laughs> true. the history. Juliet, Pete Rose himself. in the Hall of Fame, yes or no? I don't know who that is. <laughs> Fair enough. Char- <laughs> <laughs> I'm an Orioles fan. All right, <sighs> Cal Ripken Jr. That's all. You know I Cal know. Ripken. Yeah. Oh man, I mean, he is the the yeah. all time hit leader. Um, um, so I mean. Kind of an important guy, I suppose. <laughs> anyway, thanks to everybody. We ended this up on Sports Chat. You know, we were an ESPN affiliate for a moment here. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks, Vince. Great job tonight. JR, Juliet, thank you, guys. Loved having you here. And, and thank you to everybody who found us after a, a, a shortened week last week. I think our next program this week will be Thursday night. We've got two paranormal programs coming up with Britt tomorrow night and Wednesday. So look for this program to come back Thursday night. Thanks for being here, everybody. We'll see you next time.